Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We're going to talk about the trade situation with China today. We're going to talk about uh, next week's USDA crop report. The speculation, the guesses are running wild and they're all over the place. We're going to kind of do a deep dive on that today with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone, what we might expect and what uh, that crop report may or may not tell us and where we, what he sees happening with the markets uh, beyond next Monday's report. And also today we're going to do uh, a segment on financial planning. Um, very stressful times on the farm right now with the uh, the trade situation, the crop situation, the commodity price situation, ag economy really uh, taking some hits. And we're going to talk with Daryl Duntman with Duntman and Company, accountants and consultants, and talk about uh, some tips, some things uh, to be doing as far as financial planning, especially during these uh, stressful times. So all that coming up on today's program. But we're going to start it off uh, with a look at the trade situation and, in particular, uh, what's going on with China. Joining us now is Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for joining us. Seems like each time we talk to get an update, uh, the news is a little worse with China. And right now it may be at the lowest point it's been since this all started a little over a year ago. Well, it sure has been quite a week, a bit of an avalanche of news and activities. When you just think back just seven days ago, uh, USTR's uh, Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin were meeting in China with a delegation there to talk about restarting the trade negotiations. Then they flew back and um, visited and briefed President Trump. And then later Thursday afternoon, President Trump announces there's going to be, starting September 1st, a 10% tariff on the $300 billion of Chinese imports. Then, of course, Monday we had the China reaction uh, saying they won't buy U.S. ag products going forward. And then later Monday afternoon, the Treasury Department labels China as a currency manipulator. So there has been uh, plenty of activity related to China and trade just over the last week. A lot of the comments now that we are hearing and reading uh, sound more and more like this. You, you hear about the possibility of more market facilitation program payments maybe being needed. The president talking about China maybe using the strategy to wait and see what whether or not he gets reelected or not. It, it just sounds more and more like this is just going to go on at least in the next year. Well, it could. I think there'll be lots of activity happening uh, long before that. Just over the next few weeks. You still have the uh, administration saying they're planning for the a China delegation to come here in early September uh, to meet again on the trade issues. There's still now well, it's almost uh, three-plus weeks before that new U.S. tariff uh, would go into effect. So there's still time to talk, still time for action. What was a little different this time with China was in the past they've waited to react, waited until the U.S. had actually implemented something. 
So they their their reaction this time was uh, more in advance, maybe of what people expected. The fact that they said they wouldn't buy ag products. So um, the pressure to actually get something done in one sense is increased. There's uh, certainly more chips on the table, you might say. But the opportunity for that, uh, hopefully it's taken. This could settle in for a, while, a long while. It seems, try not to be overly pessimistic here, but it seems that the longer this goes, that expectations for something really great to come out of this uh, seem to be lowered. I mean, early on, it seemed like, okay, we'll go through this for a while, then we're going to come out of this with this great deal that's going to make it even trade with China even better than it was. Now, more and more, we're hearing and seeing things about it may never be as good as it was, and things are going to be dramatically different even when, if and when we get a deal done. How, how do you look at the long term on this? Yeah, I think that uh, is, a, is a real consideration, and that comes from the fact, of course, of being totally out of the market. I mean, even with the increased tariffs, China was still buying some amount of soybeans, was still buying amount of product, not as much, obviously, as they were before, but they were still buying some. So the up there was, well, if we can get past this, China will do some purchases, we can move away from these tariffs, reduce or eliminate tariffs, over time we'll get back in. If you've got, and if this goes on any length of time, and that's the real question, how long does China stop buying U.S. ag products? We don't know that. But all the people that sell will tell you, uh, if it's any length of time, they will find alternatives. Uh, you will lose market share. That takes a long time to build back. So it's the length of time of this that's really going to impact on whether we're able to get back in that market and bring it back to much of what it was or whether the uh, some of these market opportunities are, are gone for a long time. Realistically, do you see China going an extended period of time buying nothing from us? I don't know that they'll buy nothing. I mean, it all depends on the product and where their needs are. We, of course, we have all these contributing factors. You've got a decline in soybean demand for feed because of their African swine fever problem. Um, and they're, of course, been buying a lot more than they habitually had done over the last year or two from Brazil. So maybe on soybeans they won't need as much. But there's other products they've been buying from us that they have needed, and we've been the good market for them, and it's been a great good market for us. So how long this actually happens and how wide it goes. To me, it's so little unclear um, how far this will go down into the private side. Um, yeah, the state-run companies may, may not be buying, um, but will this extend to everything they buy? That's not completely sure. But, of course, our exporters and the companies that export to China will find that out real quickly how far this extends. On a brighter note, of course, uh, Japan and it looks like uh, we're still on track to get a deal done with them, right? Well, there's a lot of good talk there. There was uh, meetings uh, again last week. When Ambassador Lighthizer came back from China, he met with a Japanese delegation the end of last week, and you heard a lot of uh, better news compared to China coming out of that. Uh, people looking at a time frame towards the end of September. If you could get a deal on agriculture and uh, auto issues, uh, that's the components of this that uh, have to be uh, sorted out. Then there was talk that perhaps the end of September, when Prime Minister Abe is in New York and President Trump for the U.N. General Assembly meetings, they might be able to do something there. So uh, a, uh, that would be a really good time frame to try to wrap up uh, some new market access into Japan.
We need that good news, that's for sure. All right, Dave, thank you very much, and uh, we'll stay in touch as uh, as these trade fronts continue. These this, Hopefully we'll get some good news soon, but, boy, it doesn't look oh. real positive right now on China. But thanks for the update. Okay. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. We're going to talk much more about this whole situation with China both short-term and long-term, a little bit later when we check in with Arlen Suderman at INTL FC Stone. But coming up next, financial stress on the farm. What are some things you can do to deal with it? What about some financial planning tips? We'll get into all that coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, sometimes it sounds like we're putting all of our eggs in one basket, the Chinese basket, and that's not the case. So you're looking at constantly to uh, develop other markets around the world. That's right, and we're seeing expanded opportunities in Korea. We had uh, one of the best first couple of months in terms of cheese sales in Korea we've ever had. Southeast Asia continues to be of great interest to us. We're, we're establishing a center of dairy excellence in Singapore to send a message that we're going to be in that market for good. We've just uh, recently concluded uh, some additional expansion into Chile uh, and potentially Peru. And so we're looking to expand existing opportunities. However, you know, we are at a disadvantage. The European Union has been very aggressive in terms of negotiating free trade agreements. So we do need a couple of wins here. And hopefully we get uh, the USMC ratified and hopefully we get a, a Japanese agreement. That's former Secretary of Agriculture and now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Lots of extra stress on the farm this year with the trade situation, with the weather and crop concerns that we have, price concerns. We'll talk about how to deal with that and uh, some financial planning tips that uh, may be of help on your operation. Joining us now is Daryl Duntman with Duntman & Company, accountants and consultants. Daryl, thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. Glad to be with you. Good to talk with you again. I know you're you're constantly talking with producers and uh, about the these issues that I just mentioned, and and they're trying to figure out a way to to deal with them, and it's certainly putting stress uh, on these uh, producers and their families and their operations. What what do you point out to them? What when you talk about financial planning, what's something that they can do and need to be looking at to help help them through these times? Well, one of the key things is to uh take a look at your financial statement and the big catch word right now and has been for a little bit is working capital uh working capital by definition it's the it's a calculation it's your current assets minus your current liabilities now uh current assets your cash short-term investments which are like money markets uh input inventory crop inventory livestock inventory uh, things that we would normally liquidate within a 12-month period. Now, current liabilities, on the other hand, is something, again, that their accounts payable that you owe at your local supplier, uh, your operating loan, their financial institution, accrued interest, payroll taxes, uh, principal payments on term debt, term debt being your machinery debt that's, you know, that you're going to pay a four- or five-year uh, payments on equipment or, or real estate, you know, which is generally a little longer. But what we like to do then is the uh, – and those those numbers, the current liabilities, are those that have to be paid in the next 12 months. So we want to see a positive number. And uh, there's some measures that are floating around. Uh, one of the things we see, uh, Dr. David Cole, who was uh, Virginia Tech, uh, came out with a series of uh, financial ratio measures a number of years ago. And he has a concept that he calls green light, yellow light, red light. And uh, if you're looking at working capital, if you have... 15% of your working capital to your revenue or your operation, if you're 15% or greater, that's generally what we would call green light. And what we like to see, another way of looking at it is how many acres do you operate? Uh, we like to see $130 to $150 of working capital per acre. So that's uh, that's number. If you had if you're farming 1,000 acres, then you should have $150,000 of working capital. Now, why is that important? That tells a lender, and, and lenders are taking a real hard look at this, and we're looking at it, of course, with our clients, but uh, one of the top 
questions we get when we're working with financial institutions, because we work with financial institutions as well as producers. Well, one of the things they're looking at is, is this guy going to be able to repay the loan? And that good working capital ratio, that shows them that he's going to do that. And, and that's one of the first things we want to take a look at. Like I said, we work with some banks, and we help them. Uh, we, we often uh, take a look and help them uh, evaluate the financial stability, say, of their profit. 5% of ag loans, that kind of a thing. So that's that's the top number one measurement. Now, how do, producer, how do producers uh, conserve their working capital? I mean, I, they're probably, cons- if they have that working capital and they're in those margins, but can they stay there through these economic times right now? Right. What we got to be careful of is right now, you know, concentrate on net income. Positive net income increases working capital. Same thing, be cautious on purchase of fixed assets. And more important, what, what we got a few years ago, we kind of got sloppy when we had $7 corn. And so it wasn't uncommon to, okay, I've got a $30,000 purchase here, and I'll just pay it out of my line of credit. Well, it's not realistic to pay you know, a capital asset back in one year. And so uh, different organizations, financial organizations, handle it differently. Uh, some of our people will go ahead and they'll buy the asset out of their operating line, but then they'll turn around at the end of the year and they'll gather all their capital purchases and put them in a term note. So that's the one thing, uh, if, if you're talking about conservating, and then is make sure that uh, we don't put too much of an obligation into the farm operation in any one year. And, again, watch what you're doing uh a lot of times lenders will say, watch your family living. Well, unless you're going to Vegas every third Friday or something like that, uh, family living is something that has to be covered and in the long run. And so I'm not sure that that's a valid valid approach. But basically, watch watch your assets, watch your purchases, watch your profit. We're talking with Daryl Dumpman with Dumpman & Company, uh, accountants and consultants out of Illinois. Uh, Daryl, what are some things that uh, farmers can do to create working capital? Basically, the bottom line is to watch their profitability. Uh, and that gets back to looking at the whole farm situation. Uh, are you paying too much for cash rent? What's your, uh, what's your current purchases for long term? That, that's a big impact. I mean, we want to buy stuff when we've got the profit. We don't want to buy stuff. We want to throttle back a little bit when we don't have those things. We're finding people will, you know, are getting along. You know, they're putting off machinery purchases maybe a year uh, down the road as long as they've got, you know, adequate adequate equipment. And we kind of tell them, you know, when is the time to buy equipment? It's when your decrease in value of the piece of the equipment plus projected repairs, say, over the next 12 months, when that exceeds the payment on a new piece of equipment, you need to start taking a look at, at that particular option then. So... Uh, the biggest thing is, is is just watch your spending. Right now, I think there's a, been a lot of belt tightening going on on farming operations for the, you know for some time now, and you get to the point where some are probably saying, you know, how much tighter can I can I pull that belt? Now, and sometimes it it takes we we have to look to get we have to get from today to tomorrow. And so sometimes we have to look at some little longer-run situations. What we commonly see, we'll see a lot of equity in what we call those long-term assets, real estate. And so sometimes what we need to take a look at is, 
do we need to consider refinancing some of the short-term operating debt accounts payable against real estate? Now, some lenders are not real keen on that. Uh, they think that it's a reflection maybe, you know, you didn't do your planning well enough, so they're sometimes reluctant to do that. But that's actually one option, uh, one of the better options to increase working capital in the short run. So you'll take $200,000 of short-term debt, put it against real estate. You're spreading then those payments over a 20 or 30-year period of time. Other ways, you know, we talked about profitability, but sometimes it gets right down to our only options are sale of assets. Uh, not too many of our operators have a lot of excess equipment laying around, but if you got something that you don't use, that's maybe one way to put some money back, take it from your long-term assets, dump it into you know, to paying off some short-term liabilities. Uh, sometimes we get into situations, and we saw this back in the, in the 80s when we got into a buying before then. You and I are old enough to remember some of those times. The only solution at that time was is we had to reduce a little uh, land. We had to actually sell some land to get some of that done. And again, what sometimes people lose track of is we don't really have to own land to farm. We just have to control it. So if selling an 80-acre piece of ground gets you by, that might be something to consider because a loss of 80 acres on most operations isn't going to be a big deal. But we've seen operators uh, that get into financial stress. That's one of the things. And you need to be proactive. You need to be one step ahead. You don't want your lender telling you what to do, meaning telling you to You want to be proactive and make that decision before when you've got control because then that, that shows that you're a good manager. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what we're looking for is a sound operation that we can then pass on in the next generation if that's, that's present. All right, Daryl. Uh, we'll talk more about this in the future. I did, just saw a story just came down today showing that land values are holding steady. Uh, I mean, that's some good news there. We've not seen that drop that many feared would be happening. Right. And the comment on that and the reason why is there are a lot of good operators out there. There's a lot of cash out there. And so uh, we were just with a young producer uh, last week going over some financials. I mean, 46 years old, he had $1.4 million of working capital and, you know, farms 28, uh, 3,000 acres, something like that. Good shape, good area, tight cash rent area, but he's still, he's, he's managed his cash rents. He's busy, he's growing, and there are a number of individuals with cash. So if there's cash out there, farmers like to invest in real estate. All right, Daryl Duntman with Duntman and Company, accountants and consultants. Daryl, thanks a lot. Financial planning always important, especially in the these tough economic times, and uh, we'll talk again in the future about more things uh, for producers to keep in mind. Thank you very much. Hey, Mike. Glad to be here. All right. Coming up next, Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stones, a market outlook and outlook ahead to next week's USDA crop report. The guesses are all over the place. We'll talk with Arlen next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. 
She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The initial shock of China claiming they will not be purchasing any more commodities from the U.S. wearing off to some degree in the grain and oil seed sector. Prices trying to stabilize. USDA saying that 165,000 tons of soybeans were sold to an unknown destination for 2019-2020. The soybean bears controlling the short-term trend in the market. If initial support at 854.5 cracks, it could signal a resumption of the recent selling wave with a bearish target at 843 and three quarters. An hour into the trading day, November soybeans down two and a quarter at 863 and a half. In corn, the new crop December down a penny and a quarter at 411 and a quarter. The near-term trend remains negative. Minor support and a short-term corn low seen at last week's low at 397 and a quarter. For the wheats, Chicago September down four at 480 a bushel. Kansas City September down five and a quarter at 412 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat September down two and a half at 519 and a half. Livestock at the Merck in Lean Hog Futures. The October contract is 60 cents higher at 65.20. December up 57, 61.60. Live cattle futures, October contract unchanged at 106.20. Feeder cattle nearby August down 47 at 139.50. Cash cattle trade, some dress deals in the north, 180 to 185 yesterday. Not enough to establish a trend for the week. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 394 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
Lots to talk about today with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, it's state fair season, it's farm show season, but it's also now the season for trying to guess what USDA is going to come out with in that crop report on Monday. And the guesses, uh, the, the projections are all over the board, aren't they? They really are. Uh, in 40 years, I don't recall a time when we've had such a wide variety of opinions. And, and that's largely because of the, the significant problems we had with this year's crops, uh, getting them in the ground, trying to figure out what the implications are for that long term. We're getting a lot of mixed signals on yield and acreage. And then you throw in the demand implications of a global sluggish economy, trade war, et cetera, and African swine fever, put it all in. And there's a lot of uncertainty going into this crop report. Okay, so what are you focused on on Monday, and what are you estimating or guessing that uh, USDA is going to come out with? Well, I think the the uh, first uh, and foremost is corn crop, and when we look at this, a lot of the survey-based yield estimates have come, been coming in right around the 167. I know that's a little above what the pre-report estimates are, but when you look at the survey-based estimates, what seem to be, and the reason I focus on that is that's because USDA is going to be driving their yield from a farmer survey and from satellite data. So from that standpoint, I'm anticipating that USDA might make a little bit of a downward adjustment in yield or maybe somewhere in that 165 to 166 area. That's a little below the survey base, but I think the satellite data is going to give it that negative bias right now. But I think USDA will be cautious until they really get into the field and do their objective field surveys in September. Remember, 1993, and I know there are differences with 1993. There's a lot of similarities, too. We really didn't know October. And this is going to, I think, take time to unfold. The big focus, though, was on corn acreage with USDA on June 28th saying 90.7 million acres. Expectations is really wide this year, about 10 million acres um, in the range of expectations. I'm at 85.6. I think I may be a little on the high side even. But if it's anywhere in that 86 to 87 million acre range, I think it catches a lot of attention. And then as you get into September and October, we start learning more about harvested acreage. I think it'll be a little more friendly when we learn more about that and the yield as well. But for now, uh, you know, it's going to take something significant, though, to sustain a rally in this overall bearish environment we find ourselves in the macro markets. Yeah, we've we got two storylines here, right? Acres and yield, and, and this report's going to be tell us more about acres. It will. I mean, they're going to make adjustments on yield, but frankly, August 1st when the yield surveys were done, and, and uh, I've, well, there wasn't any objective field surveys with this report, um, a lot of the corn, a big share of the corn hadn't even pollinated yet. And so the crop's very delayed this year, very immature. And so I don't think USDA is going to do much on yield, and that means that the real focus is on acres. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Uh, there are going to be a lot of already we're starting up uh, private crop tours, and then we'll, we're going to see a lot of estimates out there. But we're, we're not used to this in this day and age, Arlen, to be here in August and to, to 
really not have a handle on acres? I mean, uh, we're used to, with all of our technology and all of our information flow, we're used to being, uh, you know, more in the know than we are this year. Yeah, I mean, some years there will be debate, well, maybe they'll lower acreage by a million acres, two million at the top. But this is a much more significant situation with with long-term implications. And uh, therefore, when you, also we're in an environment where the algos can amplify any move that we get. So as short as the institutional investors are in this market, very heavily sold, uh, if we get a surprise, you could see a significant move in the markets. The question is whether that move will be sustainable in the current macro environment with the trade war and, and a risk-off environment overall. But certainly from a short-covering standpoint, uh, we could change things dramatically if, in fact, USDA does give the bulls what they're looking for. Well, let's, let's ask it this way. What number on production for corn and for beans is so low that if we got to that, it would really jump the market up? Uh, that's a good way of looking at it. And right now, I think probably anything below $13 billion on a pr- production side for the corn uh, would certainly turn a lot of heads. Right now, I'm at twelve seven, uh, and uh, I, I think that has potential to go lower. The big question is what's happening in the middle of the field. Uh, this is what we saw in 1993 is uh, edge of the fields looked really good, helped hold up the crop ratings. A lot of the crop tours don't go into the fields very far, um, but in the middle of the fields is where all the problems were. And from some of the drone footage that's out there and some of the uh, people who have flown planes at low altitudes taking pictures, it, it that's an indication that that's what we have this year as well, particularly east of the Mississippi River. Okay, so if, you, if we're at 12.7 or or even lower, uh, that could really boost the price. But with the harvest the way it's going to be this year, so late, so stretched out, is there? it, it would seem that that's going to not have this big one moment where just everything's going to hit and everyone realizes, hey, this thing is really low and we're going to see this big jump all at once. Is this going to be more gradual, stretched out then? Yeah, I think originally you may get a short covering rally and then maybe even a pullback. And and then I think this is something that happens over time as the market starts to get grasped. I do not expect a sudden explosion of a market and all of a sudden all of our problems are behind us. I think this is going to take time to unfold, uh, perhaps into the winter. I'm looking for a wet harvest, something very similar to 2009 when we put a lot of wet, low test weight corn into the bin. And then in the spring, we had a a bullish surprise in a quarterly stocks report. We found out that we pulled about 500 million bushels, fewer fewer bushels out of the bin than what we put in because of the shrinkage that occurred in the bin. So at the end of the year, uh, when maybe not all the harvest is done, but most of it's done by the end of this year, uh, what is the upside potential on the corn price, do you think? Where could we go? Well, again, it's the risk of how low you think the crop is, how small it is. Um, if this is a crop that is getting close to uh, or lower as far as billion bushels, um, then you probably are looking at uh, 
uh, lead futures at some point probing above $5. If you're looking at a crop that's closer to 13 um, then you're probably looking at something in the, in the uh, uh, bottom half of the $4 range, um, maybe in the mid $4 range or something like that. Okay, so so that gives us kind of the barometer to look at there uh, as far as that total crop number and what it could mean for price. Now, let's let's take that same uh, scenario then to, to soybeans. Well, when you look at soybeans, um, you know, I think right now the trade's really looking for a crop that's somewhere around 3.8 billion bushels. It's a little bit smaller than what USDA uh, had on its July uh, S&D book. If you get something that's closer to 3.5, you start catching a little bit more attention. The key here is on the demand side. Um, USDA is still over 300 million bushels higher than I am on its export target. I do not expect it to narrow that gap anytime soon. I think it's going to remain optimistic on exports, and so therefore it doesn't take as much of a, a drop in production to start getting the market excited. So if we were to see a crop that was uh, south of $3.5 billion, um, then I think the trade would would start reacting positively, and uh, we'd see quite a bit of short covering and some new money coming in. All right, so we'll watch. That's a number there to watch uh, on uh, on soybeans. So uh, we look at these factors uh, moving forward, and as we said, it's going to be a long harvest. It's going to take a while to, to see what happens here. Um, when we look at the guesses, though, the estimates, will the market react much to these uh, numbers until we know some uh, closer to some final numbers? Well, I think the market will do some react. And first of all, the algos simply have those trade estimates programmed into them. So if the number is lower or higher, it automatically make the trades and set that tone in the early minutes of the trade. And we saw this in the June report, certainly. Uh, and then the human intervention quickly came in and brought things back, so to speak. Um, and I'm talking about the June 28th report. And so if it's if it's uh, not an overwhelming surprise, that can quickly happen or you get that algo move. But you have to really change the tone. And I, I can't emphasize enough how significant it is that we're in a generally in a risk-off environment right now with uh, the institutional investors convinced that the trade war is going to pull the world into a recession, a global economic recession. That means reduced demand for commodities. So they've been shorting the commodities at whole. You can still rally an individual commodity or class of commodities in that environment. You just have to have a stronger story to do so. Okay, that leads me right into where I want to go next. Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone is with us. We're going to ask him to stay with us past the break because when we come back, we're going to look at the trade situation and the long-term implications of what's going on with China. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. 
everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors, Waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now to discuss the latest round of market facilitation program payments is USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. How did you come up with your amounts for dairy and pork producers? It was looking at the taking the same formulas that we looked at for crops, being able to look at how the commodity was being impacted and divided by the either the number of pigs out there, the amount of production. We were able to, in both of those, uh, also have some of that damage being able to be compensated in purchases. That's a product that goes great in in uh, food banks and other places, but there is a limit to how much you can move that way. Hopefully, we'll see 
some folks that don't normally get a chance to be able to buy milk or, or pork, develop more of a taste for it, and continue to buy it in the future. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we continue with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Want to look at the trade situation, Arlen. Uh, we're hearing now from USDA about the possibility of maybe needing more market facilitation program payments. Uh, talk about uh, maybe China is waiting to see what happens, whether or not he gets reelected or not. Uh, it's sounding more and more like this is going to go maybe even into next year or who knows how long. I want to go back to when this started, you and I talking about things like if this went long enough, would it change the world order when it comes to trading? There would be long-term impacts from this. Uh, and now we're starting to hear people say things like maybe we have to realize that if and when we get this deal done, it's not going to be the same as the way it was as far as how much we were selling to China. Maybe it'll never be that good again. So there are all these unknowns, but some realizations may be starting to stare us in the face here of what we're looking at uh, into the future with trade with China. How do you see this playing out long term? Well, I think it's important to recognize that this is, goes beyond trade, and so that really helps define the question. This goes to national security uh, and and global superiority, so to speak. And while that sounds like a big ego trip for two countries, it has significant implications as far as two different ways of life, capitalism versus communism. What we see in the communism uh, situation in China is a strengthening of their bid to maintain control, and that's being played out in Hong Kong right now, um, certainly. And, and how that plays out, I think, gives us a lot of indication of whether they're really looking to reform or not. We're not seeing that. Ag has been caught up in that because trade has become kind of the leverage tool being used to try to bring about uh, reform and to slow down China's aggression, not only in economics but also in military uh, aspects as well. China sees those two as very closely tied together. Um, and it's become clear to me that the hardliners certainly do not want to yield, do not want to change, whether it be President Trump or anybody else. They want to remain on the course they're on. A trade deal um, could maybe uh, soothe the fears of many corporations trying to decide whether to expand business, make capital expenditures or not probably is not going to change China's behavior long-term toward its long-term goals. It might impact short-term commodity business, but they're going to go forward with their long-term objectives. And so 
that means that we probably are shifting things. What President Trump has been able to do is cause a lot of companies to leave China uh, to go to other parts of the world, mostly other Asian countries, to get away from the turmoil of the trade uncertainty. That's put a lot of pressure on China near term. Um, but it certainly hasn't been enough to cause them to change their behavior. Will this, you think, have the same long-term impact as the Russian grain embargo um, that really kind of changed the world order of things, uh, brought up uh, competitors and uh, changed buying uh, uh, patterns for, for countries? Do you think this will have a similar impact? I think it will put together with African swine fever as well, and certainly I know, and I uh, uh, had dinner with a couple large clients from uh, Brazil a couple of nights ago, and we were talking about this, and they're certainly benefiting from it right now, but they also talked about the fact that because of African swine fever, we're shifting to other parts of the world where the meat production is done. So that will help offset that to some extent, and they recognize that because the United States is in position to get a lot of that business, but that's going to be slow to develop. In the meantime, I think there's going to be some pain as that happens. Um, how much of this was caused by the trade war itself, how much of the trade war just speed up the inevitable, that's a debate that can, one can have. Um, but the shift is happening. I would argue it has been happening, but it's happening at a faster pace right now. Uh, away from a dependency on China and needing to develop markets elsewhere. You know, a lot of times it's said there are no winners in trade wars, but it seems like somebody, other than, the, in this case, two, the two main uh, competitors, it seems like there could be winners outside of those two from a trade war. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we quickly forget that China had basically blocked imports of uh, most of the ag commodities, soybeans, had been the primary exception prior to this trade war starting. Uh, and uh, I remember the uh, grain sorghum uh, tariffs of 284% that were put on before the trade war ever started. And look at the huge uh, uh, tariffs that were put on ethanol and DDGs, uh, corn imports that were largely blocked. Um, you could go on and on and on. Soybeans has become the poster child, and, and China was moving away from the United States and soybeans as Brazil expanded as well, because Ch China saw the United States' primary rival uh, from an economic and military standpoint, and so it was looking for another place that it could be dependent on and not help the United States even prior to this starting. A lot of layers to this, right? A lot of levels to this. There really is. It's far more complex, um, and uh, it's far more complex than, than what we see on the surface, uh, including China's um, made, in 20, made in China by 2025 objective. It's a one-road uh, uh, objective of uh, really tying much of Europe and Africa to China, investing in ports and all these different places. It's a very complex type of system. It, uh, China has been pursuing to develop over the years. It has invested uh, billions of dollars into Brazilian infrastructure long before this trade war started, um, trying to move away from the United States simply because it saw us as a rival. Yeah, in many ways, China 
for for our agriculture had become our safety net in many ways, and now it looks like we're going to be finding another safety net. Uh, It's not going to be the same, that's for sure. Arlen, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.